Our next lesson this morning will come from the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 16. We're going to be reading verses 13 through 17 of Deuteronomy. You can find that in your order of worship or in your own personal Bible or in your pew Bible in front of you. A reading from Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 13 through 17. You shall keep the festival of Booth for seven days. When you have gathered in the produce from your threshing floor and your wine press, rejoice during your festival, you and your sons and your daughters, your male and female slaves, as well as the Levites, the strangers, the orphans, the widows resident in your towns. For seven days you shall keep the festival to the Lord your God, the place the Lord will choose. For the Lord your God will bless you in all that you produce and all of your undertakings, and you shall surely celebrate. Three times a year your male shall appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of weeks, the festival of booths. They shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. All shall give as they are able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God that he has given you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I don't know how many of you uh, know the name Osceola McCarty. Um, she is a modern Mississippi saint. If you don't know her story, let me share it with you. She was an, she was an African-American lady from Wayne County, moved into Hattiesburg, and uh, at a very young age, uh, had to quit school, I think the eighth grade, and began uh, her, her lifelong career as a washwoman. She washed clothes for prominent folk all around Hattiesburg. Uh, Ms. McCarthy, she um, didn't have much. She had a house that was given to her by an uncle. No children. Um, she didn't afford, she didn't want or think la- any type of, uh, uh, any type of, uh, you know, lavish living things such as, you know, a TV. Thought that was too extravagant. She had an old uh, black and white television that she'd kept for years. Later in her life, some friends finally convinced her to buy a window unit for this old house. She didn't have a car, so she walked a mile pushing a shopping cart to the grocery store where she'd buy her groceries and then push the cart back to her home. Uh, Friends would give her a ride to church or would give her a ride to her work. She had seemingly nothing. She did have a um, savings account at a local bank. And eventually, over the years, one of the workers at the bank noticed that she had began to save um, quite a bit of money, almost $150,000. And they began to meet with her and say, well, Ms. McCarthy, what would you like to do with this money as you're getting older? And they got out three dimes, 10 dimes. She said, well, I want to give one dime or 10% of what she had to her church as a tithe. And then as she died, when she died, she wanted to go to her church. She took three dimes. And uh, she said, well, I want to give 10% or give three, you know, give 10% of what I have to my, to my three nieces so they can have something. Left her with six dimes, 60% of the rest of her assets. What do you want to do with that? Said, I want to give that to the University of Southern Mississippi. Set up a scholarship. So those who have nothing, those who have no education, those who don't have a shot to get out of poverty, particularly those that are African-American, can have a chance to go to college, to have what she never had. 
This lady lived frugally her entire life. And in the end, she gave over 60, she gave over 60% of all that she had to USM so that individuals who would never know her, never know her, never know her as a person, but have the chance to go ahead and go to college and get an education and have something that she never had. She was a modern saint. She got a bunch, you may remember she got a bunch of awards. She received the first honorary degree so the Miss ever gave. She received honorary degrees from Harvard and other schools like that. She actually got to fly to New York City to hit the button to make the ball drop at Times Square. That was the first time she ever flew. It's also the first time she ever stayed in a hotel room. She lived frugally and wisely her entire life. And because of that, she was able to bless untold and unknown thousands of individuals across southern Mississippi who now have a chance to go to college because of her. Stewardship, giving, these things make a huge difference in lives. Listen, I'm not a preacher who likes to talk about money. Most of us don't. You know, I don't like, I also don't like the, you better come to church sermons. I'll tell you why, because you're in church. So if I fuss at you for not coming to church, that kind of defeats the point because you're in church right now. The only way you better come to church sermons works is if I call the folks who weren't here and then like fuss at them over the phone. Like that works, I guess. But like, so I don't like those come to church sermons because you're here. Likewise, I don't really like the giving talks. But as we've been in the capital campaign, I haven't mined these as much. These haven't bothered me in the same way. Because this whole capital campaign building stuff, this is so much bigger than me. This is so much bigger than I am or me. So much bigger. There are some preachers out there who want to build buildings. I am not one of those preachers. This is so much bigger than me. When we started this process over three years ago, when the leadership committee, leadership council put together a committee called the Building Needs Task Force, the point they were going to do, let's just look at how we use our facilities. How do we use our facilities? Do we use our facilities well? Are we, are we using our facilities in a way that we can continue to produce young people like Joe and Sam and others? Are we using our facility in a way to grow young families, to allow children to have adequate space to grow and become Christians? How are we using our space? So this committee over these three years listened and talked and had conversations and came up with, with ideas. And they, we met with different people. And we, we came up, they came up with this plan that you've seen before you. It's been three years in the making. Because the question was, how are we using our facilities to make sure that our church can be a blessing to our students, to our families, to our children. How can we use our facilities so that we can build relationships so that folks can know Jesus? How are we doing this in this way? And so when we talk about all the giving and all the, all the building stuff and all this, it's so much bigger than that to me because it's talking about how do we as a church bless this community? How do we as a church bless our families? How do we enable our students to go from just having a couple rooms tucked away in the corner where nobody sees them to actually have an adequate space to grow 
and develop and become disciples of Christ? How do we allow intersection to continue to grow and develop and be a service to which people come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? How do we allow our children and our thriving weekday? How do we allow our, our sanctuary? How do we allow our entire church? How do we allow our small groups? How do we allow everything that God has entrusted us to? How do we use these things for his glory and for his purpose? And y'all, that's so much bigger than me. That's so much bigger than you. That's us as a body. That's bigger than all of us. So when we talk about the giving portion of this, I'm not as nervous about it because it's bigger than all of us. It's like Miss McCarthy. It's a dream and a vision bigger than anything that any of us can possibly understand. Giving is such an amazing thing. This text we read this morning, this Deuteronomy passage, such a neat passage. By the way, I had to uh, pray for me. I'm on running on fumes of fumes right now. Because I was with our confirmands this weekend at Wesley Pines. We took about 10 kids down to Wesley Pines uh, for a confirmation retreat. And I got back into town about 6 o'clock this morning. They should be arriving probably about now, honestly. And we t- I, I actually wound up actually not just being a chaperone, but also teaching four classes on Scripture because somebody else had to cancel. So they, there's a preacher. Let's put Andy in there. So we talked about Scripture this entire weekend with kids. And we talked about how this Bible points us to Jesus. This Bible forms us. This Bible shows us who Jesus is. And we understand what this Bible tells us. We understand when we read this book. Like Colossians tells us that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. And so many of us have an image of God that's apart from Jesus. And to understand God, you've got to understand Jesus. To understand Jesus, you've got to read this book. Deuteronomy, while an Old Testament passage, points us to Jesus. Because today we read it, we read a story. We read, we read the festival of what's called Weeks, of, of, of Booths. The festival booths was a, was a festival of the Jewish people where they would literally construct booths, little tabernacles. It's called Sukkot in the Hebrew uh, language. They would build these little tabernacles where the people would go outside for seven days and sleep in these little tabernacles to remind them of their 40 years in the wilderness. They were reminded of what God had done for them, how God had, had, God had, had saved them in the wilderness. They were reminded of all that God had done for them. So they did this. They built these booths to remember. And then, it's, and then it says there are three times a year, unleavened bread, festival of weeks, and festival of booths, where the people were called, and they were called to come and to give. It says that everyone was to give as they were able. They were not to come empty-handed. They were to give as they were able as an act of worship to God. Each of these festivals, unleavened bread, that was the back end of Passover, They were called to remember God's provision for them at Passover when God saved them. Festival of weeks and of booths were festivals of the harvest to remember and to thank God for his provision. And how were they to respond to the memory of what God had done? And how were they to respond to the gift that God had given them? They were to give. Give as they were all able Give as they were able. Everyone, no one came empty-handed to give as they were able. Not equal gifts, but equal sacrifice. Everyone doing their part. For God is not so much about the gift as it is the giving. The point of our faith is to recapture what sin has taken, to restore the image of God within us. Well, who is God? Well, John three sixteen says, for God so loved the world 
that he gave. God is the giver. And if we're going to follow God and be Christians, follow Christ, we're going to have, we are called to be givers. And this passage reminds us today why we give. We give remembering what God has done for us, and we give looking ahead to what God wants to do. Miss McCarthy gave all that she had. Her gift was not that great, y'all. $150,000, while a lot of money, trust me, Southern Miss gets more donations of that for sports. Old Miss Estate get more donations for that in, in, for sports. $150,000, while a lot, is not the greatest gift they ever gave. But Miss McCarthy was literally the widow's might. She saved her entire life. She lived with nothing. Her friends had to convince her to buy a window unit for her house. And she gave out of that because she believed in a better future for these kids in South Mississippi. She had a bigger vision than what she could do, but what she could be used to do. She had that vision. We give out of remembrance for what God has done. And we give with a hope towards what God is going to do. I believe in our church, y'all. I believe what God's doing here and our students and our children and our worship and our outreach and all that we are. I believe in our church. So my family give to this church because we believe in this church. We tithe. We take our check each month. We multiply it by 0.1. We go online and we make a donation to the church. We give 10% of our income to this church. We're going to, as well, make a donation to the building campaign in addition to our tithe. Because this is not, I don't want you to take for the building capital campaign, I don't want you to take your tithe and make that your donation to the capital campaign because it's not that. This commitment to the capital campaign is bigger than your tithe. It's a bigger gift than that. Because God wants to tithe for the ongoing ministry of the church. We have to give that next level as well. I give with the expectation of what God has done. But that's not the only reason why I give. Those of you who know me know that I don't just burn the candle at both ends. I burn the candles at both ends and then I take my knife and I put a wick in the middle and I burn, that right, burn it right there too. Let me tell you why I tithe. Let me tell you why I give. And y'all, when I die and I go to heaven, hopefully, fingers crossed, and I see Jesus, I'm going to say, Jesus, I got a lot of stuff wrong. I made a lot of mistakes. I said things I shouldn't have said, and I did things I shouldn't have did, and for that I'm sorry. But the one thing my Savior will not accuse me of doing is that he will not be to say that I didn't care. My Savior will not say that I was apathetic about the gospel. And my Savior will not say that I did not care for his church. He will have a litany of complaints and failings he could point out to me. Thankful for his grace but he won't be able to say that I didn't care. I shouldn't be here, y'all. 
My mother was literally shot while carrying me in her arms when I was two years old. I should be dead. I should not be standing before you. Every day that I've been given is a gift. And I'm going to use it for the fullness of the gospel. Every gift that I've been given was a gift from God that I'm going to use for his glory. It isn't just that. It isn't just literally that he spared my life. I, I told the kids at Confirmation this weekend, y'all, before I met Jesus, I was not a good person. I was hateful. I was mean. I was arrogant. I was a bully. Before Jesus, I was not a good person. In December of 1993, when Jesus changed my life, I became a different person because of him. My life has unfolded in a radically different manner because of Jesus Christ. One of my favorite songs is an old song by Stephen Curtis Chapman. It's called, it's called Remember Your Chains. In this song, it says, there's no one more thankful to sit at the table than the one who best remembers hunger's pain. And no heart loves greater the one who can recall a time when all he knew was pain. Jesus Christ has literally not only spared my life, but he has given me new life. And I am a different person because of Jesus Christ. So that's why I get a little fiery. But y'all, I'm going to withhold nothing from my Savior. I'm going to withhold nothing from him. Not my money. Not my income. Not my comfort. Not my status. Not my pride. Not my career. Not my anything. I'm going to withhold nothing from my Savior. And I'm going to give it all to him because he has given it all to me. And yes, I'm going to fail. And I'm going to mess up as your pastor. And I've done things wrong already. I'm going to continue to do things wrong. Not on purpose, but because I'm human. But my mistakes will not be because I didn't care. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. We give to this church. We tithe. We serve. We believe in what God is doing here and what God wants to do here. And I am thankful to be a part of it. Together, when we as a body come together, we can do amazing things. May we withhold nothing from our Savior. And may we find the life that comes only and always through Jesus. Let us pray. Gracious God, you have given us so very much. We are so very thankful. God, as you have given to us, God, may we give back to you in the same manner. We love you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.